We're glad to be sharing the ministry of Redemption Church with you. Now join us as we receive the Word of God. Much for everybody. Welcome to Redemption Church. So glad everybody's in the room. I got my friend Andrew right here. Everybody say hi, Andrew. Andrew, we're so glad you're here. Excellent. And everybody joining us online, however you're seeing this right now, we say hello from Plano, Texas and Redemption Church. My name is Chris Fluitt, and I want to welcome everybody to this brave sermon series called Questions and Answers. We've replaced the sermon with your questions, and then you've sent in these questions to an anonymous text line, and we're going to try to answer some of those questions today. And this is not the last week of the series. If you have questions, you can send them into our anonymous text line, 214-856-0550. That is an anonymous text line. I want to tell you, it really is anonymous. I've got people all the time going, I wonder if you're going to do my question tonight. You, you received it. I bet you knew it was from me. And I'm like, I have no idea who it's from. Literally, I know. I've talked to some people on the anonymous text line. They're like from Jamaica, and they're like, I don't know, and I wish I could do a really good Jamaican accent, but they ask really good questions. We have talks all the time. So I really don't know where these questions are coming from. They are really, really anonymous, Cleta. I don't know if you've sent in a question. I don't know. I can't prove it. I don't know. But we're going to jump right in it, 214-856-0550. Anybody ready to receive the word of God in a brave way? All right. Well, here it is. Question one, and this one's a doozy. This one's going to take a little while. All right. I have been raised to believe that God does not forgive us until we ask for forgiveness. But didn't Jesus' blood cover everyone's sin? Does that mean I am already forgiven? When I ask for forgiveness, does that mean God forgives me at that moment? Or have I already been forgiven and asking is my acknowledging and, and asking is my acknowledging my sin and need for repentance? Does that make sense? So let me, whoever asked this question, oh, I feel you so much because this question, raise your hand if you've kind of had this question a little bit, everybody in your mind. All right, good. See, you are not alone. And it, it's like, well, if I do this and then there's all these things, it's like and you're, you're kind of spinning around in your head. I get that. I would like to really simplify things for you tonight. So let's agree on some things. God gives us grace. And if we didn't have grace, this this question would be done right now, right? Because without grace, it's impossible to be saved. Grace is unmerited favor. Grace is receiving what you do not deserve. Salvation is what you do not deserve. Forgiveness is what you do not deserve. So let's agree right here. God gives grace, right? And then actually God gives us faith. The Bible says that everyone has been given a measure of faith. Did you know that? Everybody has a measure of faith. So we have faith in Jesus. So we have grace and we have faith. Anybody know a verse I'm talking about? It's Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. We're saved by grace through faith. We have faith in what? In Jesus that he died, was buried, and rose again. That's also grace, by the way. So grace is every part of this equation, and faith is every part of this equation. And now, the next thing we need to agree on this is that we follow after Jesus through grace and faith. Every step you're taking towards God is grace. Newsflash to you, if you felt God's presence tonight, 
that was not because you deserved it, right? That is because he loves you and his grace is for you, all right? So you're walking in grace at all times, walking in grace. And then you're walking in faith at all times. Scripture says this, that which is not of faith is, does anybody know the next word? Say it. Sin. Say it loud. That which is not of faith is sin. So guess what? You are walking in faith or you're walking in sin. There is nothing in between. All right? So every, we got to agree here. Every, every step of our relationship with God towards heaven is a step of grace and a step of faith. All right? The blood of Jesus. One, one question. Uh, it was said this way. Uh, didn't Jesus' blood cover everyone's sin? I want to address that real quick. Um, Jesus died for everyone. His blood is for everyone, but the blood of Jesus has not covered everyone's sin, right? That's where they have to walk in faith to receive that. A great example of that is the original Passover. It happened in Egypt, right? Right? The blood of the lamb, the Passover lamb, they could have slain the Passover lamb and still died that night. What did they have to do with the blood of that Passover lamb? They had to take it and paint it on the doorpost. And when that death angel saw the blood, then he passed over. All right. Now, the, the perfect Passover lamb died on a cross nearly 2,000 years ago. But just because he died doesn't mean you have applied his blood to your life. That is grace. It's available to you. God's given you a measure of faith. Now you, by faith, you need to receive that blood, apply it to your life. What part of your life should you apply it to? Every part of your life. Every part of your life. There is, there is a thing, I grew up with this concept of praying the blood of Jesus, pleading the blood of Jesus. Lord, I, I just imagining that you're one of those Hebrews painting the doorpost. Well, go ahead in your prayer and paint the doorposts of your house. Paint the doorposts of your heart. Paint the doorposts over your children. Father, I, I plead the blood of Jesus over my family. I plead the blood of Jesus. All right. So not everyone is covered yet by the blood of Jesus. N yet the blood of Jesus is available to everyone. Say amen if you agree with that. All right. Through faith in Jesus, we must do some things. And one thing we must do is we must confess our sin. In fact, the Bible says that if we don't confess we are sins, sinners, we make him out to be a liar. It is only through confessing that you are a sinner that your sins can be forgiven. Go back to the Garden of Eden. You have God asking questions. He obviously knew the answers, right? Where are you, Adam? You don't think God knew where Adam was? Right? Then later, uh, it comes out that they've done wrong. And uh, God asks another question. He has the answer to. He's like, who told you this? Who told you to eat of that tree? Who told you this? Right? There was an answer to that. What was God doing asking questions that he knew the answer to? He was trying to get them to confess confess and nowhere in that story do they confess that they are sinners in fact adam does the opposite he says oh lord i want to confess that this woman you gave me she's an awful sinner 
Read your Bible. It says it. He blames it on the woman, right? We need to have confession. Anybody know a great verse? You need to know this verse. It's 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. You got to know this verse. This is a verse to write down. Get this verse in your heart. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. What's the if there? If we confess our sin. If we do this, he's faithful and just to forgive and to purify us. All right. This is absolutely a part of God's salvation plan. It's absolutely part of God's salvation plan, all right? Now, I won't go there yet. I'm trying to formulate my idea. Here we go. Uh, When you confess and repent, you are forgiven. When you repent, that's that's an instruction also in Scripture, just like confession. Confession is a part of repentance. Repentance is a turning away from sin towards God. So here's sin, and you turn away from it, and you are turning towards God. You can't do that until you've actually confessed you're a sinner. You aren't turning away if you think I'm not a sinner, or if you go, well, yeah, I've made a few mistakes, but I'm not as bad of a sinner as Cletus. That just, that's not going to work. That's not that how that works. And so, and then what should you do? I want to, you get this, that in scripture, there's always a what to do next. All right. And you should drop the word salvation here. Forget the word salvation because 99.9% of all arguments are over what is salvation. And you know what the real basis of that argument is? What's the least I can do to be saved? Does that sound biblical? Does that sound like what Jesus wants from you? No, I just want you to just do the bare minimum at all times. No. And, and here's where the church world gets crazy. Because the church world will say you need to have a relationship with Jesus Christ in order to be saved. But then we get into these arguments and we never discuss having a relationship with Jesus Christ. Well, we have that relationship through grace and through faith and then through following after Jesus Christ. And so right here at the birth of the church in Acts chapter 2, we're told three things to do. Three things to do. It's in Acts chapter 2 verse 38. Then Peter said unto the people that just heard the gospel message, he tells them to repent. The part of that's confession. He tells them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And then he tells them, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. All right. These are things God has for you. He wants you to walk in those things. All right. So, but I want you to notice this. You have repentance. And then you have baptism even for the remission of sins. That's a really interesting thing. Uh, if, you have by, uh, if you have by grace and faith followed commands like Acts 2.38, the commands of God to confess, repent, be baptized, I would tell you today that you have great reason to celebrate. You have great reason to celebrate because you're walking with Jesus. You're becoming closer to him. I want to tell you, you don't have to worry about salvation if you're walking hand in hand with Jesus. And most of the problem with our questions about salvation and all that is because we're, we're not attempting to walk hand in hand with Jesus. We're attempting to find a checklist and we did two things and now we're saved, right? And you know what? That's what denominations are, right? 
This church across the street, not, I'm just an imaginary church. I'm not like calling out a church across the street. There's a church across the street, and they say, you have to do these five things in order to be saved. And then another church steps up across the church and says, you legalists, you only have to do these four things. Come over here. It's easier to get to heaven. And these other people go, oh, you only have to do one thing. Come over here. And they're like, then these other people come. Y'all are all going to hell. Do these 30 things right here. Does that sound like the gospel? That is not the gospel. That is not the gospel. All right, so next, semi-truck. You just got hit by a semi-truck. Imagine that. And right before you got hit by a semi-truck, you said a bad word. Rick, what a potty mouth. You said a bad word right before the semi-truck hit you, all right? And now you're dead. You're toast. You're gone. All right, so you curse and die before you can confess and repent. And this creates all kinds of turmoil. It's like, oh my gosh. Now, if imagine this scenario. Now, imagine Chris Fluitt, like seven-year-old, going, oh my gosh, whatever you do, make sure you don't sin and then accidentally die. If you're going to die, at least have enough time to get a quick prayer in. <laughs> Father, forgive me, I'm a sinner. All right, <laughs> right, right, oh my gosh, right. I want to tell you this. I want to wipe that fear away for you, okay? Jesus died for and has forgiven all of your sins. When Jesus died, it was not just for the sins that had been committed yet, right? He died somewhere around 33 AD. We won't get in, I don't know, what, just around there, about 2,000 years ago. He died, right? He didn't just die for every sin before. He died for every sin that had happened, was happening and would happen. Do you have access to that blood? Yes, you do. Yes, you do. So I want you to get this, that when you come to Jesus, when you receive that blood, when you receive the gospel, you are receiving the one who was, who is, and who is to come, and he covers the sin that was, the sin that is, and the sin that is to come. Colossians 2, 13 says that he has died and forgiven all of your sins. Christ died for sins once and for all. That's what 1 Peter 3, 18 says. He died once and it was for every sin and it was for every sinner. You're covered. You're covered. You're covered in case there is a semi-truck. I want to give you hope. You are still covered. You're still covered. The price for your sins, past, present, and future, it has been paid. In the moment, God forbid that you get hit by a semi-truck. All your hope is still in the cross. That's where your hope is. Keep your hope right there. But this is always true whether you, whether you have sinned or not. Whether you, a semi-truck is coming at you or not, your hope is still in the cross. That's where we've got to keep our mindset. And, and whenever we're, we're going through troubles in the world, that, that's going to come. But, but where's our hope in? Our hope is in Jesus Christ, always in Jesus Christ. When you have failed, when you have failed miserably, when you've lost your uh, temper, when you've said the worst things, when you've driven on 75 and you have done that horrible, horrible thing to that other car, and then you went and there, there's like little children in it, Courtney, and it, it's just terrible. I want to tell you, even in those moments of shame, in those moments where you feel, oh gosh, what a loser I am, I want to tell you, reminder, where's your hope? You have a living hope, Peter says. You're in, 
Your hope is in the cross. Your hope is the one that was on the cross. And he is alive. So your hope is alive. So then that kind of brings up another question. I'll, I'll address that. Why repent? Why ask forgiveness anymore? You've already, you only have to do it once, right? All right. So only do it once? Well, I want to tell you, we need to seek God's forgiveness whenever we sin. And here's why. So our fellowship with him will be restored. And this is where it gets topsy-turvy because people, are, are, there, there's far too many people in, in Christianity that want to just go to heaven. And they are not really interested in a relationship with Jesus Christ. I would tell you right there, that is not how you get to heaven at all. Can I get an amen on that? That is not how you get to heaven. All right. So yeah, we, we repent to give us an open, complete, restored relationship with Jesus Christ. Every time you sin, do you realize it's the Garden of Eden all over? You have rejected God and you've listened to a snake every time. But when we repent, it opens up that, that, that veil between us and God. And we are, one more time, restored with him. So why should you repent? Because you love him and he loves you. Do that every time. Do it every time. And be quick to repent. And do not fall into the trap of, well, I'll sin. And then I'll pray right after. Do not do that. That is incredibly damaging. That is incredibly damaging to the relationship that you're supposed to have with the Lord, okay? Don't do that. Don't do that. Repent. Repent of those things. Repent. Turn away from it. 1 John 1, 9. Confess our sins. Faithful and just. And will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. I want to tell you, sin is very serious. How, how serious is sin? Well, it's why Jesus died. Jesus died on the cross for sin. That's how serious it is. If your heart has ever been moved, by hearing about the, the nail prints in his hands and his feet and how his back was torn up and how his side was pierced and how he was rejected and how he cried out on the, on the cross. If that has ever moved you to tears and to life change and to seek God, then that is exactly why you shouldn't sin. He, sin is why he died. And so that sin that we kind of justify and we go, well, it's not that big of a deal. No, that's it's such a big deal. That's why he went to the cross. That's why he went through all that pain. We must take sin serious, but we must also not live in fear. But in faith that our sins are under the blood of the one who loved us. Clap your hands if you're happy your sins are under the one the blood of the one who loves us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. All right, I hope that, that helps you. Forgiveness is such a wonderful thing. One of my favorite things about God is that he forgets all of my sin and at the same time remembers any halfway decent thing I've ever done. You get the best of both worlds there. He forgets all of your shortcomings and he remembers everything that you've done for him. You ought to take advantage of that every day of your life. Next question. Let's pop that up here. Can you help me? I hope. I hope. I need to know if people who commit suicide will go to heaven or hell. I was told that is a sin. You cannot ask forgiveness or uh, so we will go to hell. But I thought Jesus died for all our sins, past and future. Here we have a question that's very much related to the first question, right? 
but this one's about a very serious issue called suicide. Let's talk about suicide is never the answer. Listen to me, everybody. Suicide is never the answer. Anyone who is contemplating suicide needs to know that God has a better plan for your life. He has a better plan for your life and that we would love to embrace you. We would love to talk to you and whatever you, you you've lost all hope. I would tell you, get, get a hold of your hope and let's hang out. Let's be friends. And then I would tell you one more final thing about suicide. Suicide hurts people. And most people that commit suicide are so deceived by a devil to believe I need to just commit suicide because I am hurting. And that is far from the truth. No, when you are gone and you have taken your life, you will have hurt so many people. Do not commit suicide. Don't do it. Don't do that. Isn't that how we feel? And so, I don't know who's asking this. If someone's asking this, please go get help, all right? If you're, com- if you're thinking about suicide, please go get help. Please go talk to someone. Please go give someone a chance to show you people love you. Someone loves you. I guarantee you God loves you, and he's putting someone in your life that will love you. Number two, there is a misconception about sin and repentance, and here it is. If a per- person commits a sin but dies before they can confess and repent, they will go to hell. And I believe that's a wrong view. There's a guy, he's a, like a church uh, history name. If you ever studied church history after the Bible, you would probably heard of the name Constantine. Not the comic book character, Robert. Not that Constantine. No, Constantine, he was uh, a guy in, in the church there. We won't go into that. But did you know Constantine and so many other people would wait until their deathbed in order to be baptized? Because they had this false belief that if I get baptized and then I sin, I'm done for because I can't get rebaptized, they thought. And now I've sinned and I've ruined my baptism. That's what they thought. So this guy who's well-respected, who has formed a lot of the theology that's even talked about today... He waited, he waited until his deathbed and had somebody carry him to a little tub and baptize him. And then he's like, oh, so good, so good. I'm about to die and I'm too weak to go sin now. Literally are the thoughts going through his head. Who thinks that that's great? That is not great. All right. If there was a little signal going on for your head, go, I don't think that's great. Listen to that voice because that's true. That is not Great, that is not God's plan. Our salvation has everything to do with Jesus. Everything. Do you know that salvation is not a thing? It's a person. Salvation is not that checklist idea of a denomination. Salvation, the very name Jesus means he is salvation. That's what his name means. The angel told Mary, name this child Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. So it is, salvation has everything to do with Jesus. He is salvation. So let's have a relationship with Jesus, all right? Let let me tell you, you are probably going to sin again, right? If we could take those odds to Vegas, I'm so sorry. I love you, but I would so bet against you. Let's say, yep, there's no way. Marshall's going to sin again. I'll put 50 on that right now. And I would put I would put five times that on me. 
y'all get it? Because we are, we are all sinners. Isn't there a scripture that says that? We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So I want to tell you that it is about a relationship with God. It is not somehow you have decided and found out a secret way to never sin again. That is not it. That's not it. Constantine didn't know that. And so many of us still today don't know that. Number three, moving on. For those who lost a loved and you're worried about their salvation. Maybe you've lost someone who committed suicide. I want to talk to you for a moment. I want to tell you that there are many promises in God's word. Sometimes people just mess up. People, And sometimes you don't, you don't even know where they are with God when they're gone. You don't know. They're gone and you go, oh, if only we would have had one more conversation. Only if I could have prayed with them one more time. And then uh, let me tell you, being on the side of that, I would tell you, Take every advantage you can to pray with someone. Take every advantage you can to share the word with them. Take every advantage you can to tell them, hey, I want you to know it. Jesus loves you, and I think you always need to hear it, and I need to hear it too. And make sure you put that into conversations, because once they're gone, you can't do that. But there are promises for people. Here's a promise. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Romans chapter 10 and 13. So if someone's taken their life, I want to just give you hope. Can you remember a time that they called on the Lord? And can you just say, God, I'm so thankful for that time that they called on the Lord. And I just surrender them to you. I'm not telling you that you're putting them in heaven. Guess what? None of us have the right to do that. All right, moving on. This one. Those who are buried with Christ in baptism will rise. Maybe you had somebody that took their life. And there's, there's so many things that can go on. There's a... Bipolar is rampant in our world, and there are times where that can absolutely steal your mind from you. And during that time, people have to be very closely watched. They could commit suicide at that at that time, right? And it's not even something that they want to. It's something that they've been tricked into. There's these things like that. Well, if if that God forbid, if that happened, can you remember a time that they were buried? And can you in, in baptism? And can you say, God, I thank you that they were buried with you. In baptism, Lord, I'm, I'm depending on you to raise them up on that day. And just, and just surrender that to the Lord. Can you do that? How about this one? We read this one, Ephesians 2 and 8. We're saved by grace through faith, Lord. And, and God, if, if, if it would be only by grace that they could be saved. And I remember a time that they had faith, Lord. I pray, Lord, that their faith was still in you even when they were making terrible mistakes. Even when they were walking away from your commands, Lord. I pray, Lord, that they still had faith in you as Lord and Savior. How about this one? He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. Mark 16, 16. How about this one? Hebrews 13, 5. God will never leave us or forsake us. How about this one? Colossians 3 and 3. Our life is hid with Christ in God. There are so many promises in the word of God. Whenever you're going through this stuff, here's what you can't do. And here's what everybody does. Everybody looks for a person to tell them what they want to hear. It is a thing. Like, I get phone calls like that. I get phone calls, and I can already tell this person, I am like the 12th pastor they've called, and they just want me to put someone in heaven. And I'm so sorry, I can't do that. But what I can do is give you hope that heaven was completely available to that person. And I can tell you right now, heaven is available to you right now where are you with the lord with the lord number four here's the fourth thing because we belong to christ 
He is able to guard what I have entrusted to him till that day. That's 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1. Because we belong to Christ, he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him. In other words, because we belong to him, we have hope that he will keep us even when we're stupid. Even when we're unfaithful. We have the hope that he's able to keep us. And I stand on that hope. Yet it is also true, well, let's turn it around, that because we belong to him, we should trust him with our life and not take our life through a suicide, right? So if you belong to the Lord, you've entrusted him, you don't have a right to take your life. That, that swings both ways right there. I, I would tell you blessings to you. I appreciate this question. As someone who at a young age contemplated suicide, I did. I want to make sure that you're that if you are contemplating suicide, I want to make sure that you have all the support that you need. And I want you to run fully into the love of Jesus because that's what set me free from suicidal thoughts many years ago. I knew that I, I knew that he loved me. And it wasn't me earning it. It's that he loved me. And perfect love, it casts out all fear that set me free. Thank you for that question. Please, please, if there's anything we can do to help you on that, please let us know. Here's our next question. What is the difference between the Holy Spirit and the Holy Ghost? I always thought they were the same thing. They are. You win. You were right. They are the same thing. All right. That's a great question. That's a good question. In fact, there are simply different English translations of the, of the same Greek word. The original text was written in Greek, and the person wrote, Hagios Numa, all right? And so King James Version came out and translated Holy Ghost. And then something like uh, the ESV or the, the NIV, New International Version, one of those versions came along and wrote Holy Spirit, all right? So those are different English words, but that original Greek word is exactly the same. And I would tell you Holy Ghost and Holy Spirit actually do mean the same thing. Hagios, by the way, means holy. And Numa means breath means breath right there. So breath should remind us of what? Genesis chapter 1, where the breath of God is breathed into a man, and he becomes a living soul. The Spirit is God breathing into us again, and that's where we become born again. That same God who breathed into Adam, he breathes into us this life-giving Spirit. And who... Who, who is the source of that life-giving spirits? It's also Jesus, Paul teaches us. Jesus uh, is how we become. Uh, he is a life-giving spirit. Um, we may also think of Jesus breathing on his disciples. John chapter 20, 22, he says, receive the hagios pneuma, and he breathes on them. And then in Acts chapter 2, they receive that. So I want you to know that whether you read Holy Spirit or Holy Ghost, that is the very same word, all right? Don't, that would be really weird. Uh, that could really throw people off. Like, there's another uh, term uh, closely related to this, like being filled with the Holy Ghost versus being baptized with the Holy Ghost. I want to tell you, that's the one and the same experience. It's just uh, spoken of differently, all right? Baptized with the Holy Ghost is like you're completely submerged in His Spirit. That's the 
that picture. And if you're filled with the Holy Ghost, that just paints the picture that his spirit is now living inside of you. I would tell you that that's one in the same experience. And that doesn't need to become like two doctrines, right? All right, very good. All right, next question. Very good one. Can a Christian date a trans person? Thank you for this question. Really, I just thank you for this question. When I first saw this question, I was like, oh my gosh, you sweat. I want to tell you this. So I've really prayed about how to answer this one. I, I think I've got I think I've got a good answer for you. So give me a chance. Give me a shot. Here we go. Uh, you are free to do anything you want. There's a thing called free will. So when you ask, can I do something? I mean, there's literally a scripture that says you're free to do everything, but not everything is beneficial. There's a scripture that says that. You are free to do anything. So it's not a can you. It is a should you. All right. Now, next, my, my next tactic here, if you allow me to, is to remove the term trans person from the argument and just put a big blank there. Can we do that? Should a Christian date fill in the blank? And now, so we're going to think about some of those things. Think, you think in your head, what are some of those things? Uh, should a Christian date a Philadelphia Eagle fan? Shouldn't, shouldn't do it. Shouldn't do it. That I'm very serious about. Very serious about. All right. But, but how about this one? Someone who is a serial killer. Should a Christian date a serial killer? It's like, but Martha, he's a serial killer. And it's like, yeah, but he's, he's so dreamy and he loves me. And I think he's going to change. Why is he taking clips of your hair? Why is he cutting your hair, Martha? He's got hair and toenails in jars. What's going on? So, it's easy for us to go, a Christian shouldn't date a serial killer, right? That's destructive and it's bad. Don't do that. All right. How about this one? And I did this one for Vicky, but she's not in the room. Not that she does this, but she has uh, been on someone that does this around here. Someone who pirates movies off the internet. Should a Christian date someone who pirates movies off the internet? Next question. Someone... <laughs> Someone who enjoys doing illegal drugs, right? And guess what? The shifting culture, that these questions, like 20 years ago, I think you would, you would probably have 100% of people go, absolutely not. You shouldn't date a person that's a meth addict, right? But, but today, culture has kind of shifted, and you could be go, well, I don't know, what, what, which drug? Like there's some that are acceptable and some that aren't acceptable. That's the shifting changes of culture, all right? And let me tell you, what a Christian should live by is the word of God that never changes and not by the shifting sands of culture. How about this one? Should a Christian date someone who is a hypocrite? Should a Christian date someone who is walking in a direction that's not towards God? So I like to sometimes, when, when we're form, forming questions, there, there are some questions that, that depending especially on the audience and, and the situation who you're talking about, that could be more polarizing than others. And some, sometimes I like to actually just remove that word and just investigate, should a Christian blank? What, what should a Christian do? And that's a really good question for you to have, that, that you're trying to be a Christ follower. When you have a situation on your work, uh, how should a Christian respond in that situation? Someone's lying on how should a Christian respond. Somebody that's not a Christian might yell and throw a chair and curse them out. But how will a Christian respond in those situations? There's, a, there's an opportunity to steal a large sum of money over here. How should a Christian 
How should somebody that is following after Jesus respond in these situations? This is a good way to think about all the questions you've got in life. We got a verse to look at. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 and 15. It says, do not be yoked together. Let's say joined. That'll help us there. Joined together, unified together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial, that means Satan, or worthless is the word that means the thing. Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? All right, so heavy verse here. It's saying you need to be careful with who you're joining up with. Right. Let me tell you, parents say this all the time to their kids. (laughs) They got it from right here. You need to be careful with who you're hanging out with kids and Adults, we also need that. We still need that that word right there. We are instructed not to join, to yoke ourselves with those who are not walking with God. One of my favorite verses, I'll give you Amos chapter 3, verse 3. It says this, can two walk together except they be agreed? If you're walking with somebody, it's like there is an agreement. We're walking together. We're going the same direction. Can two people walk together unless they are Agree. So we need to prioritize our walk with God above every relationship. Your relationship with Jesus is prioritized above every relationship. So if you're walking with Jesus, you're in agreement. You're walking together. All right. Now, three of you are walking. You've got Jesus, you've got you, and you've got some other person. And that person's like pulling you over here. Jesus is walking that way. What what just happened? You're going with the other person. Now, Jesus is standing all by himself. What happened there? Did that affect your relationship with Jesus? Does that take you out of agreement with Jesus? What did that, that other relationship? And suddenly, you went out of agreement with Jesus by agreeing with somebody who was not agreeing with Jesus. The story of Abraham and Lot is very much that, that, that situation. You've got Abraham and you've got God, and they're walking together. And Lot comes along and says, Hey, I'm your nephew. Can I come with you? And Abraham's like, yeah, sure. Even though God said you should not, he brought him along. And then they have all these problems together. And it's like pulling, it pulls uh, Abraham even to the point where uh, Lot goes to a place called Sodom and Gomorrah. There's an issue. Narrow down the whole problem between Lot, Abraham, and God is this. Abraham walked with God. Lot never walked with God. He just walked with Abraham for a while. And it could have thrown a lot of shenanigans and did cause problems for Abraham. You need to walk with people that are walking with God. And you need to have the guts to to look at somebody and realize they're not walking with God at this time. I will not walk with them at this time. It doesn't mean you hate them. It doesn't mean that you're judging them. It doesn't mean that you're throwing stones at them. It's that you are choosing Jesus Christ as the highest priority of your relationship. He's number one. He's number one. And I'm going to walk with Jesus Christ. All right. So we're prioritizing him. Um, dating should lead to marriage. What a concept. By the way, culture, has it shifted on that? Yeah. Well, I'll date the guy, but <laughs> I don't think I'll ever get married. Like, I mean, that's a, that is a sentiment in the world today. Right? My God. And marriage, what is marriage? 
It's a holy vow that you make before God. So dating is kind of a big deal. You should never date someone you don't feel like you could marry. Don't do that. You are wasting your time. That is, you've got better things to do. Don't do that. So make sure you're walking in the same direction with someone that you're marrying or with somebody definitely that you're even dating. So now let's come back to transgenderism because I'm not running away from that term. I'm not, I'm not, nor am I being hateful about that term, all right? Transgender is a complex issue in the culture today. It absolutely is. But walking with God is very simple. It's very simple. Is the person walking towards God or not? And just be really honest about that. And if they're not walking towards God, encourage them to walk towards God. Share the love of God with them. Share your testimony with them. Invite them to a connect group, a small group, a Bible study, a worship service, a time of prayer. Invite them to hang out with other Christians, all right? And make sure they're actual Christians that don't hate people that aren't like us. I want to say that and have a church that claps at that one. Wait, wait, I'll practice again. Make sure that we are the kind of Christians that don't hate people that aren't like us. That's right. Make sure we're not like that. Do you know that nobody is like Jesus? But he loved everybody. And that's what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be exactly like that. To the extent you are willing to walk with God, I am willing to walk with you. That is the idea that every marriage should have. All right? Now, it gets really complicated through marriage because now you're walking together all together. And even if they veer off to the side, that's a whole other question right there. That's really tough. That's something we can address if you ask that question. To the trans community, let's talk to the trans community. And any other community that feels ostracized by religion, I want to tell you, my name's Chris Fluid, and I would love to meet you, and I'd love to hear your story, and I would love for you to know the Jesus I know. He loves you already, and I hope that you find that one day. And I invite you to walk alongside us as we're all walking towards Jesus. You're welcome to come here. We would love for you to find Jesus right here at Redemption Church. I will add one more thing. Things can get really, really confusing, and we're, we're not really, uh, we, we don't spend enough time thinking about what people are going through, and their identity, and all of that. Whoa, that's a, that is heavy. That's a loaded, that's a loaded gun to some things, uh, what, what people are identifying, what, what they're identifying as, and they can feel shameful about it. They can feel uh, ostracized about it. They can feel hated about it. They can feel angry about it. There's all kinds of things right there. And they, sometimes they just need to look somebody in the eyes and that, that loves them. Whoever you are, I'm doing my best to love you. And I think that, that's really cool. There's, there's other things there. Like there are people that have uh, repented of things, right? What does that look? I will add to this. Think in material. Here it is. What does that look like for a person that's transgendered? What does repentance look like for a person that has undergone a surgery? Maybe that's not just like so concrete as, as you might think. Maybe it's not. I don't. I don't know the answer to that one. That one. That one's a real question. I'm. I'm wondering about what does that look like. Do, are you, does that mean that they have to go through another surgery? I don't know. 
Should they be alone forever and not have friends? I definitely don't think that's the truth. Do I think that they have no true that, that they have no future? You absolutely listen to me. Everybody has a future. No matter what you've done in the past, you still have a future. So I'd have you consider that in, in Waco, Texas, way before culture had shifted this direction, I knew I knew a lady who is uh, in the LGBTQ uh, lifestyle, and she she came to Christ, but her whole identity, her body, had changed. That was rude awakening for me in the 90s. Wait, but you know what? Here's what I do know. That person loved Jesus. I saw it in them. I saw it in them. And I hope today they have a wonderful relationship with a person that also has a wonderful relationship with Jesus. I want that for them. And that's all I have to say about that. We've got two more questions. And this one's really interesting. I was like, ooh, I checked out this question. Here it comes. Was Babylon descendants of Cain? And how did his descendants survive the flood? So Cain kills who? Abel, right? Uh, Adam and Eve have two children, Cain and Abel. All right. So there is a big event on the earth. It's called the flood. And how many people survived that, according to the Bible? Eight people. Eight people, Noah and his wife, and then three sons and three daughters-in-law. That's eight people survived the flood, according to the Bible. That's what, what happens there. So now there's this thought. Did Cain survive the flood not not Cain specifically but his descendants right well let's talk about that Genesis 4 lists the line of Cain and it stops at the seventh generation it doesn't say that they died it just stops right there at the around that seventh generation is the time of the flood so that could be that they just they died in the flood right there there are doctrines I want to warn you around about that surround Cain one of them is called Serpent Seed Doctrine. It is one of the grossest things I've ever heard somebody come up with. There are sometimes people, you have something that's in Scripture, like the word Cain is in Scripture. The name Cain is in Scripture. And that's about all that you can say about this doctrine that's biblical. They just fly off to the side right there. I'll tell you what Serpent Seed's doctrine is right now. It's absolute hatred and racism. It's hatred and racism, and it's untrue. Here's what that is. It's that, remember, it says that the serpent beguiled Eve. Well, they say that the serpent, that, that, that Cain is the serpent's father, child, instead of Adam being the, Eve, the, the, child, the, the father of Cain. Did I say that correct? Did you understand that? They're trying to say that when it says that the serpent beguiled Eve, that that, that they had a child together and that that child is the serpent seed and it's Cain. All right. So they, they have a few little terms that they, they pluck out of Scripture. But here's a real problem. Nowhere in Scripture does it say that. And usually they have like a, a vendetta or, 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 or a, a reason to do this. And here's the reason. It's racism because then, guess what? Uh, Cain and his descendants are marked says that Cain is marked, and then they go, there it is. 
his skin color is his marking, and everybody that's of a certain skin color, they're the serpent of they're the serpent seed. Does anybody spot racism here? Anybody spot it? That is utter racism. It's nowhere in the Bible. So sometimes people will ask those questions for that. I don't think the person that asked this is doing that, but I couldn't resist telling you there are some crazy, crazy things out there that are not in the Bible. I would tell you that Cain is not a focus of Scripture. It doesn't really focus much on Cain at all. Cain's line appears washed away in the flood. So, But there are some questions that people entertain beyond serpent seed doctrine. That's just bonk. That's just like, God, repent of being a racist. Stop that. <laughs> there are, there's a group of people just like listed somewhere in your, your Bible called the Cainites. And it's spelled K-E-N-I-T-E-S. Cain, though, is spelled C-A-I-N. And so there's some people that go, oh, there they are. That's Cain's descendants because it sounds like it. Cainites, all right? That is a flying leap. You can't prove that those are the descendants of Cain. In order to prove that, the Bible would need to say it. And so it is either so unimportant that the Bible never said it, or it's not true. Either way, throw it out. There it is. Now, I do have a really good question that I don't have an answer to, and this one's wild. There are things called Nephilim. Anybody know about Nephilim? Nephilim, they're also known as giants. We've got this really wild verse in Genesis about uh, the sons of God and the daughters of men, and then there's these men of renown, and it's the Nephilim right there, and it's really weird. I want to point this out. Now, this is strange. Nephilim show up before the flood, and they show up after the flood. And that's kind of like, what does that mean? That's my question. What does that mean? I don't know. I don't know how that happens. I don't know. So there were these giants before, and then there's giants after. What were there giantism somewhere in Noah's uh, line here? I don't think so. I don't think so. But what, when we're also dealing with the Nephilim, we're not just dealing with something physical there. We're, we're dealing with a spiritual uh, entity that is against uh, the workings of God. And uh, there's a word for that. It's called sin, right? The curse of sin definitely was before the flood, and the curse of sin is definitely still after the flood. There's one more place where racism tries to raise its ugly head in doctrine. Awful. Not good. Uh, you've got, um, you, you've got uh, Noah after the flood and his son Ham. And they try to say that, that Ham is a certain kin, skin color. He does an awful thing to his father, and he is cursed. And so now all those people of that skin color are cursed. All right. That's just, it's just, it's just not there. Number one, that is not there, and that is nowhere in Scripture. God, red and yellow, black or white, they are precious in his sight. Now, that's not a Bible verse, but it's a very good song that I learned when I was a kid. I'll give you one that is a Bible verse. Through one blood... He created all nations. Through one blood, he created every person. That means if your, if your skin color is a shade of brown, a shade of black, or translucent like I am with no pigment at all, no matter what you are, God created you with one blood. And God never looks on skin. He's looking for the blood of Jesus being applied to our life. Besides... One of the really interesting things is Noah looks at his son Ham, and he doesn't curse Ham. 
he curses Canaan. He says, curse bid Canaan. That's a really far out wild thing. So now let's go to Babylon because that question was in there. I didn't forget, right? So the question was, is Babylon descendants of Cain? So no one, we don't know if Cain's descendants survived or not. Uh, we can't trace it back to Cain. But here's something we can trace Babylon back to, the works of Satan. The works of Satan. Babylon is both a physical kingdom and is referenced as an evil spiritual kingdom of Satan in Scripture. When you start reading about the Antichrist, you need to start thinking about Babylon. All right? There's a guy named Nimrod. Everyone say Nimrod. He constructs a city of Babel, and it has a tower in it. Guess what the tower is called? The Tower of Babel. You all know that story. It's in Genesis chapter 10. And this traces to Babylon and to the false god of Baal. Babel is Babylon, and it is the, the what, as far as we can tell, it's the first place the name Baal shows up in Scripture, which is a false god that is worshipped all throughout the Old Testament. Now, Nimrod is a type and shadow of the Antichrist to come. Nimrod crowned himself as king of the world, king over every world government, and he also crowned himself as God. And the Antichrist will do the same thing. The Antichrist will crown himself king over every government. Every government will look to him and call him king, and every government will look to him and actually call him God. And he will try to be worshipped as it. Uh, he will actually set up golden, golden uh, things to bow down to and worship. Where, where did that happen? It happened in your Bible in the nation of Babylon with Nebuchadnezzar. He set up a golden statue and he demanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego worship at it. Know that story? Guess what? That's Babylon. That's also Nimrod. That is also, i.e., Satan's kingdom. That's always how he acts. He always interacts as making himself the most high. What does Satan say? He says, I will ascend to the highest heaven and make myself like the most high. In other words, I'm going to be the center of worship. I'm going to worship. I would tell you that the, the nation of Babylon, the nation of Nimrod, and the, the nation of the, the, the coming Antichrist, according to Revelation, is the nation and the economy of Satan. So I, I can't trace Babylon to Cain, but I can trace both Cain and Babylon to the works of the devil. Y'all with me on that? We, we, we can't trace even Ham or, or Canaan uh, back to that, but we can trace all that to Satan's lies and destruction. Uh, God's lineage is truth and righteousness. That we can see show up in our lives when we're children of God. I've got one more question, and it, it is a kid question. I love it when our kids send in a question. I love it. This is a kid question. We received it in a Sunday school last week. Here's the kid question. What is God made of? Last week we were talking about if God created everything, a kid asked, who created God? And we, we asked that last week. And you know what? It was most people's favorite question. So go kids. I love it. What is God made of? So a house is made of wood, right? A house is made of something. It's made of wood. Uh, a toy is made of plastic. It's made of something. But God is not made of brick. He's not made of stone. He's not made of metal or any material. Right? One way to think about this is you've got a house. The source of that house is not the house. 
the source is something else. So then that makes the source of that thing more powerful than the thing it creates. Does that make sense? Because not only can that wood create that house, it can create every house. Not only can that wood create that house, it can also create a chair or a table. Not only can the plastic create that toy, it can create every toy. It can create uh, artificial limbs. It can create all kinds of stuff, even cup holders in your car. That, 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 may, that would make the material more important than the creation. There is no material greater than God. God is not made of anything. He's not made of a material. In fact, God is greater than every material because God created every material. God makes stone. Stone doesn't make God. God makes earth. Earth doesn't make God. That's also why the Bible says it is so silly to worship idols made with human hands. They're really nothing at all, it says. If you can create it, it's not God. There's a premise there. If you can create it, it is not God. So, God is not made. Let's turn this question a little bit, though. But he does have a nature. God has a nature. So when we're talking about what, what is God like, what makes up, make is not the right word, but what is God filled with? What is God like? To, to, if you saw God, what, what would the consistency of God be like? Now we're dealing with nature. And it could be also talked about as virtue, what's the virtue of God, or attributes of God. And God's nature is holiness. In fact, only God is holy. Only God, God is holy. That's his nature. What's holy, it means set apart. It's not marred with sin. It's set apart. And it, it, it's not down in the fray of, of mud and muck. It's set apart. God is holy. God is also spirit. Jesus teaches us this. He says, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit truth. That doesn't mean that God is made up of a spirit. No, it's his nature. Okay? It is what, and so now get this. Uh, oh, wait. I'll, I'll get right to Promise. Light is also God's nature. Our God is a consuming fire, and in him is no darkness at all. In him was life, and that life was the life. That's the other nature of God. God is life. He is the living God. There's no death in God. There's no part of him that's death. He is completely light and life. And how about this one? This one of my favorites is God is Love. Everyone say God is love. Of course he's love. He's not made up of love. Love is made up of him. Do you see how that, that opposite, that, that works? And so guess what? Who is created by God? Who's anybody created by God in this place? That means all of his nature and attributes, he is placed in you. Do you have a spirit? Where do you think that spirit came from? It came from your creator who is spirit. Where did, where did the light inside of you come from? Where did that come from? That came from the God of all lights. What about life? Where does that come from? That came from the living God. Where does love come from? Comes from where does any holiness come from? It comes from God. So that's what's so wonderful about, about God. If you're dealing with materials, the materials show up in what you create. But with God, who he is, show up in his creation. Do you see how beautiful that is? God created me beautiful things. Why? Because you're beautiful. 
Lord, put a pure heart in me. Why? So I can be better than Ashley Enfield. I can have a more pure heart than her. Good luck. She's got a pure heart. She's sweet. Why, why, why have a pure heart? So I, I'm just more like my father in heaven. God, oh, there, that's where it is. So God is not made of things, but who God is shows up in everything that is made. Even angels. Angels are what? They're, they're ministering spirits. And when you see them described, they're full of light. Everything that God creates, he puts himself into it. And that's also why he wants to put himself in your heart. He wants to put his spirit in your heart to make you more like him. God exists. God created the world. But nothing in this world could be used to make the God made all. Those are our questions tonight. I hope you enjoyed that. Did you enjoy that? Cool. We do three things every time we come to Redemption Church. I would like you to stand. Number one is we worship God together. We receive the word of God together. And number three, we talk to God. For more information about redemption, look us up online at redemption-church.com. We want to hear from you. So be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or even our anonymous question text line at 214-856-0550. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed day.